So uh, there's a Bible, likely, hopefully, in the, the chair in front of you. You're going, you're going to need this. Uh, if you have it on an app, then that's great too. But So grab one, uh, share it with the person beside you, and um, please turn to Matt, uh, sorry, Mark. We're continuing in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. And I'm going to wait for you. And so if your folks or if there's people at home watching, then uh, if you have a Bible at home, that would be pretty awesome. Just open it up to Mark chapter 7, verse 1. And watching. <laughs> Anybody not have access to a Bible? Anybody? No? This is awesome. Okay. So I'm going to read. And we're going to read from uh, verse 1. To verse 23. Here we go. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating food, eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me they worship me in vain their teachings are but rules taught by men you have let go of the commands of god and are holding on to the traditions of men and he said to them you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of god in order to observe your own traditions for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had said, after he had left the crowd and entered the house of his disciples with of his with his disciples, they asked him about his parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we read your word this morning and we desire to hear what we must learn from the teaching that you have given us. Please open our hearts and minds, Lord. Grant me the words to say. May you be honored and glorified. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. There's a confrontation going on there. It's pretty intense. It's all about hand washing. Is it? I just got back from vacation where I had a chance to be with my grandkids. Three little gaffers who, uh, oh man, energy deluxe, little nuclear power plants working in each one of them. And we were at a beach and we were in a cabin in a forest and they're running here and there and they're getting dirty and they're having fun and, and we're eating all together and moms are grabbing the kids and sticking them in the water and making sure they get washed and sometimes the kids are grabbing the food without washing their hands and it's, uh, it was pretty, it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad I'm not the parents because they don't have to keep up with them. <laughs> and it was great to watch. But while we were there, while we were in, we were in Saskatchewan, while we were there, we, we visited with uh, one of our nephews, my wife and I, we, and one of our nephews, his, his wife um, uh, is, was in the hospital. She had had surgery. And so while we were there, um, my nephew came in with uh, his boys and uh, the boys were like my grandkids. They were just scurrying around the floor. And, and they brought in McDonald's. They brought McDonald's for mom. And they had McDonald's. And they were having a little picnic on the floor. And their mother was, was looked like she was in a little bit of a panic because the boys were on the floor. And it was, to her, you know, it was dirty. It's a dirty place, you know. And so she was like, you know, make sure you have a blanket on the floor. Don't touch the floor. <laughs> and the little boys, of course, weren't listening very well. And uh, they were just eating, eating, and, and uh, it was fun. It was when she came out of the hospital, too, so that was fun, too. Um, but clean hands. You know, you walk into a hospital, and you'll see those little, uh, I don't know, alcohol uh, pump station? Sanitizers, Yeah. They ruin your hands, by the way. I hate that. But uh, I have to put, <laughs> have to put hand, hand lotion on after I sanitize. But I know when we walked into that hospital, there wasn't a lot of people going to the hand sanitizer. Big, big sign there. Everybody wash your hands. It's a requirement. And people walking right on by. And uh, so I went, washing my hands, <laughs> watching people walk by, just thinking, oh, okay, this is not working. This is failing. It reminded me, though, when I had been on some of my deployments uh, in some less than clean environments, uh, when I first got to into actually a place called Kandahar in Afghanistan, um, posted on the on all of the Johnny on the spots, little outhouses that are blue. You probably see them around sports fields. Well, there was lots over there, and right on the door, by the order of the commander of ISAF, you know, not not. <laughs> Not Billy Bob down the road. This is this is the commander of ISAF. He said, "Wash your hands." <laughs> okay, it's an order. So, uh, and there was little wash stations outside the, uh, the the outhouses, and some of them sometimes they had water and soap. You know, you pump the the water, and uh, you put the soap on your hand, you wash your hands, and then they also had the sanitizers. And uh, it was a it was a dirty place. It was uh, yeah, it was a really dirty place. 
It's a funny thing, though, about dirty hands in, in, for armies, that when you look at the history of military conflict, the vast majority of casualties is not the result of enemy action or getting engaged in combat. It's, it's the result of sickness, people getting sick. And that's why in Afghanistan it was an order, you know, thou shalt wash thy hands. And uh, it was, I remember uh, such a contrast that we would walk into these meal halls uh, where all the soldiers went. And we'd all, we always had to be wearing our weapons. So we're walking in where we looked like Rambo, walking into the Tabit Supper. <laughs> and we get in there, and there's these wash basin, basin, basins either side of the entrance where you had to wash your hands. So everybody, just like mom had told them to wash their hands, they're washing their hands, armed to the teeth, and, uh, and everybody's washing wash their hands. <laughs> it was so funny to me. It was just such a contrast. The World Health Organization has... has that, uh, well, they, they acknowledge, they, they observe that uh, the, uh, the main pathway for germs and infection in a hospital is unwashed hands. And so they have a, a nice little slogan, washed hands saves lives. That's the World Health Organization. So washing your hands is important. And one might think that uh, given all this information, that uh, those Pharisees and scribes, when they were criticizing the disciples about not washing their hands, and Jerusalem, well, they were in Jesenerit, Jesserit, Jesserit, they were in Jesserit. What's any different from Jerusalem? It was not a clean place by our standards. And so washing your hands was important, we would think. But that wasn't the agenda. That wasn't the issue for the Pharisees and the scribes. No, no, it wasn't at all. For them... Uh, they were concerned about, about, about uh, religious rightness before God. They were, that's what they were concerned about. If you don't wash your hands, you're not right before God. Because we said it in the tradition of the elders. It's all written down if you'd read it. And oh, by the way, you read it and you got taught it as a kid. So you knew, just like from your mother telling you to wash your hands, that the elders had told you to wash your hands. But it wasn't to prevent disease. It was so that you would be right with God. Nonsensical. That's what the tradition of the elders was. Nonsense. That's the issue Jesus had with them, and that's why we had this conflict. Just back up a bit. The book, book of Mark. The book of Mark is actually the first book of the New Testament. Book of Matthew, book of Luke, draw information from the book of Mark. It's kind of like if you were to read a travel diary of, say, you went on a trip with uh, your friend, your wife, and they wrote a travel diary. And you look through it and go, oh, yeah, I remember that, I remember that. But he didn't write this and he didn't write that and he didn't comment and he should have written about this and you get a little more flowery or a little more... And that's what Mark, sorry, Matthew and Luke end up doing. They didn't add fluff. They did add more detail. And that's why you'll see many parallel passages in these synoptic gospels. And for the passage that we're looking at today, Matthew chapter 15 tells us the same thing. It's the same story. Mark begins his book by stating the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how Mark begins. The beginning of the gospel. Mark's not talking about the first few sentences. He's not saying that this is the beginning. No, Mark is talking about the whole book. All of his writing 
he refers to as the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. That's important. And the reason it's, even up until the resurrection, this is still just the beginning of the gospel. Why is that important? It's because you and I, as we follow, we are a part of the gospel. Every time you share Jesus, you are a part of the continuing gospel, the good news about Jesus. Mark was trying to emphasize to us that as you follow him, you are, you are a part of the gospel. It doesn't stand separate from you. It's not a book that you read. You are in it. You're a part of it. So, let's look at uh, what's happening here just before we get to Mark 7. Well, lots of stuff is happening. <laughs> Jesus is healing people. Jesus is, is healing thousands of people with just a few pieces of bread and fish. And he's healing the sick. And uh, I, I said healing. He's feeding, sorry. He wasn't healing them. He was feeding them. Jesus walks on the water in the midst of a storm. And then he tells the storm to stop. The kingdom of God had arrived amongst the people. And, this, and all of these things that Jesus was doing is the announcement that the power of God, the kingdom of God was here. Concurrently, same time, as Jesus is doing all of these things, this conflict begins with the Pharisees and the scribes. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28, Jesus heals a demonically possessed man in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Was that a good thing? No, it's not good at all, according to the Pharisees. It's against the tradition of the elders. You're doing work on Sunday. Or Sabbath, sorry, it wasn't Sunday, but Sabbath. What? This demonically possessed man was healed. Mark 2, 5 through 12. Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are screaming mad. What? This man is saying he forgives sins. Only God forgives sins. Mark 2, 16 through 17. Jesus eats with sinners. He's sitting right beside them. And he's rubbing his shoulders with them. Ah! Unclean! According to the tradition of the elders, if you rubbed up against a sinner, you had to go have a bath. And what was he doing? He was eating with them. He was an offense to the Pharisees. After healing a man, he... A man's hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath, the scribes came from Jerusalem and accused Jesus of being possessed by Satan. They traveled 120 kilometers from Jerusalem to Gesenaret. I hope I'm pronouncing that well. Gesenaret? Whatever. We'll get to it. 120 kilometers. They walk, right? They're not driving. There's no super highways. That's three days. To criticize Jesus and to say, you're possessed. So, coming up to the events of uh, Mark 7, there's an ongoing conflict. Jesus is an offense. So we look at chapter 7 and there's four main characters. Jesus, some of the disciples, 
the Pharisees. And understanding who the Pharisees were, they were members of the leading Jewish religious sect. They had authority because they really were critics. They held everybody accountable to the the tradition of the elders. And so, you know, they, Jerry, you didn't wash your hands. That's a sin. You, you need to wash your hands. Or, or Alice, uh, you rubbed up against that person in the marketplace and you didn't take a bath. And all kinds, it was like it was ridiculous, the number of uh, nonsensical laws that they had. But the thing about the Pharisees is that they believed in their laws. They believed in the traditions and they, they were passionate about it. They were fervent about it. They were so fervent. It It was immense. And there were penalties to pay. The teachers of the law, other words, otherwise known as the scribes, were right like secretaries. They wrote down everything that was important. And they wrote things down, and they, whatever they wrote down, they taught. And they taught to principally young men who would understudy the scribes to become scribes themselves. So the, the continuation of the, of the learning of the tradition of the elders was, I'm going to use the word, uh, systemic. It was throughout their community. And young guys, didn't matter where you came from, you could become a scribe by simply following one of the scribes. It was a great way to maybe um, get out of a particular station in life, to raise yourself up, to become a scribe, a critic of everybody else, and have authority. Pharisees also belonged to the Sanhedrin. So they had influence over all the people. So you did want to make sure you were right with the Pharisees. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. The Pharisees and some of the, and some of the teachers of the law, the scribes, who had come from Jerusalem, 120 kilometers, gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples were eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And that means like washing their whole body. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And some, some translations even have in there, or some early of the manuscripts have in there, couches, like where you would sit. It's a lot of washing. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? The Pharisees were not concerned about disease, health care. Their criticism was that your disciples, because they don't wash their hands, are wrong with God. The tradition of the elders set the standard by which you will be acceptable to God. They don't wash their hands. They're not acceptable. They're unclean. Now, washing of hands and washing oneself is actually contained in the Levitical the book of Leviticus, that priests and that people 
would wash their hands. And there was other types of washings that were needed. But in the book of Leviticus, when it talks about washing of your, your hands and other items, it's not talking about, it's not saying that by washing your hands, you become acceptable to God. What it's saying is this is a part of the process of consecration, of preparing yourself to be with God. And that's what the priests under the Levitical code were required to do. And people as well. It was about obedience to consecrate, to prepare yourself to be with God. When I was uh, an air traffic controller, there was a lot of things that, uh, there were several things, many things that I would do to get ready to work as an air traffic controller. Of course, if I was at home, I got up, I had a shower and shaved and put on the uniform, left the house, traveled to the ops center. And once there, I'd get a, I'd get a briefing about what's going to happen for the next 12 hours with respect to the weather and what's going to happen in terms of aviation operations. Are we expecting any large movements of aircraft? And what are, what are the anticipated peaks and lows of air traffic so that we could, so that I could be prepared for that. And then I would go into the ops center or sort of the control center and, and I would get a briefing from the offgoing controller. He would tell me what he experienced and how was the equipment doing. And, and uh, then I would strap myself into my seat, put on my headphone, and, and I was ready to control. It was all a matter of being prepared to be in the right mind to control airplanes, which I'm sure everybody who was flying an airplane appreciated. Now, my, my preparations were aimed at being mentally and even physically ready to do my job. That was not what the elders were seeking to do. Again, it came back. For them, it was about making you right with God. Think about what maybe you did prior to coming to church today. Uh, obviously, you got up. And most of you cleaned up and uh, selected some clothing. And, and uh, I know a bunch of us met in the prayer room prior to the service. That didn't make us acceptable to God. That doesn't make us holy. That doesn't make us sinless. That's a part of preparing ourselves to meet with you and God. The tradition of the elders that's spoken about in chapter 7 is unscriptural law. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for to do good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. Doing the works, washing your hands, getting dressed well and coming to church does not make you right before God. 2 Timothy 1, 8-9 God who has saved us and called us 
with a holy calling, but not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Titus 3, 5 and 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Romans 3.28 We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The Pharisees were guilty of a horrible offense to God. Their tradition led people away from God. They were passionate about their traditions. They were passionate about what they believed. But passionate about what you believe does not make you right with God. You can be doing excellent at following a whole system of rules and you are still dead in your sins. Unrighteous, unacceptable to A course I took at seminary recently presented some statistics that were a little bit sobering. or They were a lot sobering. And it was uh, a review of, of Christians across a variety of churches, a variety of denominations about what they believe. And they were some, these were simple questions about what people believed about the Word of God, about who Jesus was. The majority held views that were not sound. They were not biblically sound. Well, I was, I was shocked to read that, but the more I read about the results, people today create their own theological frameworks. They take a little bit of Bible, and they take a little bit of Oprah, and they take a little bit of Angie and Tony and Fred's ideas, and that all sounds really good, and I like it. You know, make, I, I feel like that's right. And that becomes their framework of belief. And they, it works for me. Right. So too did it for the Pharisees. And Jesus was appalled because they led people away from God. God's really clear. He gave us the scriptures. And he tells us, read it. Consult with me and I will show you. But don't add or take away from this book. You place yourself in serious jeopardy to be out of alignment with God. Mark 7, 6-13, he replied, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus punches them right in the breadbasket. You hypocrites. In 
so a hypocrite is, is a person, is referred to, to the theater where actors would put up little masks and they would pretend they were somebody else. So this is what was happening with the Pharisees, with their tradition of the elders. They were pretending they were righteous with God. They were pretending that they were leaders of the people to help people become closer with God. Passionately following a system of rules that you have created may actually help you have a very structured life. You may feel good about yourself. You may help and teach others to do the same. And that is going on all over the place. But my friends, that does not make you right with God. Mark 7, 8 through 13. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is to be devoted to God. When you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. The, the tradition of the elders taught people, if you dedicate a piece of property to God, well, then it's not used for your parents, but it's a very righteous thing to do. Just dedicate it to God. No, by the way, when you finally die, it ownership transfers to the temple which is a good thing you know you're you're helping you're you're honoring god by giving your stuff to god now oh but you can't use it for your mom and dad who are aging and there were no pension plans jesus was appalled at this he null they the pharisees nullify the teaching of god for the sake of their tradition. Jesus calls the crowd to himself in Mark seven fourteen through 16. Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Referring back to the initial issue raised by the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus declares that nothing outside defiles. It's what comes out of you. Jesus had come into the world not to introduce a brand new theology, not to introduce a brand new religion, but to get people back to following God. They were following the tradition of the elders fervently and fervently way off course. Jesus then goes into a house and he sits with his disciples and, he, and they ask him about the parable. Jesus is frustrated with his disciples. 
Are you so dull? Are you so thick that you don't get it yet? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and out of the body. What comes out of a person, this is what defiles them. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. These are all evils that come out of the inside and defile a person. The heart is the center of human personality. It's the center of, of your soul. It's, it's, it's who you are. Jesus is saying that you reveal who you are by what you think, by your attitude, and by what you do. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Matthew 6. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And out of your mouth and your actions will reflect what it is you treasure. What are we to treasure? The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart. Not 50%, not 10%, not 70%. It's absolute all. There is a passionate pursuit of God that we are called to, but not a passionate pursuit of some sort of right and wrong framework that we create by listening to a variety of other sources. In Luke, Jesus tells a parable about uh, a tax collector, a publican, and a Pharisee at the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he tells about this Pharisee who stands there and he looks to heaven and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Clearly, the Pharisee was trusting in his work as the source of his righteousness. But he was a dead man walking. The tradition of the elders created nothing but dead men walking. The tax collector, on the other hand, he beats his chest and says, God, forgive me. I am a sinner by your mercy. Jesus says that man went home justified before God, righteous before God. What's the contrast? From his heart, the tax collector confessed and, and called upon forgiveness. And the Pharisee trusted in his whatever he did. And it is precisely the heart of a person that the tradition of the elders failed to address. Mark finishes this narrative leaving the reader with the realization that it is whatever is in your heart
that defiles you, that makes you wrong with God. But it is out of your heart that you can be right with God. Note, Jesus does not end offer any comfort either to the crowd or to the disciples. He just moves on. He's already told them, it is out of the heart that you believe. It is out of your heart that sin comes. They're left in a state of confusion because the tradition of the elders had been taught to them since they were children. And Jesus was, was uh, discounting, disqualifying, throwing out the tradition of the elders. Now what do we do? Well, the disciples give the answer. They continue to follow Jesus. So you could say to me, Jerry, that sounds a little harsh. You know, what did, didn't you have your breakfast this morning? Do you need a Snickers bar? I believe not that every person is good, but I believe in the intrinsic value of every person. God said that every human being is made in the image of God. Because of that, there is intrinsic value in each one of us. But that value that God has created does not make you good, doesn't make me good, doesn't make me right with God. A person's goodness is determined by his thoughts, her attitudes, and his actions. And that is a product of whatever is in your heart. This is what determines goodness. Because if your heart is right with God, God declares you justified, righteous, holy. God makes that declaration over you. And that is what you are. A little bit of sin, just an itty bitty sin that you hang on to, defiles you. You need to confess it. Be right with God. It is a daily activity. In Romans 3.23, we know that everyone, every single one of us, online as well, falls short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We have rejected God. We have chosen to follow other ways. If I were to go to my doctor tomorrow and my doc said to me, Jerry, I have bad news. You have a bad heart. You're going to die. There's, you're going to die like maybe this week, tomorrow, or even before you leave the office. You're a dead man walking, Jerry. There's nothing we can do to change that. Maybe I would negotiate with him. Well, how about if I change my diet? You know, I don't eat potato chips anymore. I watch out for the red meat. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll increase my exercise and I'll go to bed early, get more rest. Sorry, Jerry, your heart's bad. That's not going to affect 
anything. The only thing, though, Jerry, is that we can give you a heart transplant. <laughs> Anybody who's looked at that or, or had, a, had heart surgery, that's a pretty scary thing. But, Jerry, we can do that, and we can do that right now. We can give you a heart transplant, and you can have a good heart. What do you think my response should be? Yeah, like, let's go. Where's the, where's the table? Let's make it happen. This is what Jesus offers to everyone. A heart transplant. Now, the operation actually is not physically painful. But it can be emotionally painful. Because you have to confess. You got to confess, I am a sinner. You know, all those little sins, maybe you did some big sins, and you did some sins when you were small, and you did some sins yesterday. They have corrupted you. Your heart is bad. It is, you're a dead person walking. Jesus says, I can give you a new heart. If you confess Jesus as Lord, you admit that he was raised from the dead. And you choose to follow him. You ask Jesus to forgive you. And you get a new heart. And you don't just get a new heart. You get the joy of God that comes into your life. You get an abundant life. He promises an abundant life to all who follow him. But I've got to be honest. It's not an easy path. Because there's people who right beside you are going to say, What are you doing? You're giving up all of these you know, this is fun. What are you doing? You're one of those nuts. Like that guy who wears the blue shirt. Yeah, so there's a little bit of, there is a bit of pain in the sense of ridicule. But Jesus said also, he said, if you will not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before God the Father. Now, my friends, that is a horrible idea. To be denied before God the Father, God Almighty. There are people, Jesus tells us, there are people who are going to come to heaven when they die. Maybe it's not heaven. Maybe it's just before heaven. I'm not too sure exactly where that is. But they're going to come and they say, didn't we do all kinds of great things? You know, we healed the sick. We did good things. And he will say, I didn't know you. You didn't know. You were not a follower of Christ. doesn't matter what you do because all of our acts are like filthy rags in comparison to the holiness of God. That's hard to hear. doesn't make it any less true. And he says about those folks that they will be cast out. Do not be one of those folks. Following Jesus is a life of constant surrender, of confession, and he forgives. He forgives, he forgives, he forgives. It doesn't matter what you've done, he forgives you. David, Psalm 51, cried out, God, 
create in me a clean heart. Remember, the, the sacrifices important to God are what? A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart before God. That's it. You don't have to pay any money. You don't have to go out and uh, do a whole bunch of good deeds. It is a broken and contrite heart before God. It's the tax collector who pounds his chest and says, God, forgive me. I am a sinner in your mercy. God forgives the repentant individual. So I ask you, where are you? Do you have a, a framework that you've created? We could even call it a theological framework. And, and it, it, it's things that you do and things that you believe that are not from God's word. But it's, you know, I mean, they're nice people who I, I've heard from. Is, is that where you're at? That's, that's the tradition of the elders. This is not following Jesus. You need to turn away from that and turn towards Jesus. Do not rely upon good things. Do not think you are a good person if you do not follow Christ. You are a dead person walking. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the time of favor. Now is the day of salvation. If you are hearing this, and maybe you've heard it many times, but you have not acted, now is the time. Now is the day of your salvation. The heart transplant can happen right now. Right now. What will you do?